keep them out of your house. But uh, I don't think you would have kept them out of your house if you had been in Egypt, at least uh, from everything we observe and everything we read in Scripture. Uh, someone in introducing the plagues uh, that, were, that came upon the Egyptians, uh, one writer called it this. He said it was the original horror movie. It's kind of an interesting way to put it, isn't it? Now, I don't agree it was the original horror movie. Let me tell you, the why, tell you why. It's true the plagues from the throne of God were far worse than most horror stories are. Um, but the reason I wouldn't call it the original horror story, because I think Genesis 7 is the original horror story, when, uh, when the doors of the ark were closed. And when the deluge began to enter into this world and, and came down in the rains and, and people terrified were looking for an escape, uh, a, a way to make it. So the original, this must have been, it was just a sequel, all right? This was like, a, uh, you know, a, what, what do they have? They always have the sequel and then, uh, yeah, there's like, some have like 18 different, uh, you know, uh, what, what's it, what are the terms, what's the term they use for it? Well, anyway, we're going to go on. So... This was the first sequel to the original horror movie. There you go. But unlike Hollywood, which fabricates materials and stories on, uh, when it puts in on a film, this terrible judgment from God really happened. And we've been trying, rather than to look at each one of the plagues individual, if you would, and deal with that, those events and try to say what we can learn from that, uh, we've been kind of looking at the plagues as a whole. We're walking through them. Uh, with, with the idea that there are truths that we'll find laid out and actually we'll find probably a couple different times. In fact, we'll see that with some of the points that we'll be making this evening. Uh, many of the same lessons are taught repeatedly and we're going to try to avoid the repetition. But uh, we are in part two. So uh, we've already had part one and I got all the way to Exodus 8.20. All right, and we're going to pick up in Exodus chapter 8 and verse 20, the plague of the flies. And, uh, and we'll continue on. I guess I should have done it a chapter at a time, but I guess I wasn't thinking that way when I originally started. We had a list of nine or ten things, I think, on the last one. So we went ahead and put a list of like nine or ten things this time, I, I, for whatever you have. I, I know it's there. So if you can read Roman numerals, you're good. All right. Uh, but uh, we're lessons for life from the plagues, and, and we'll call it part two because that's what it is as we continue on. And uh, the Bible tells us in verse 20 of Exodus chapter 8, And the Lord said unto Moses, Rise up early in the morning, and stand before Pharaoh. Lo, he cometh forth to the water, and say unto him, Thus saith the Lord, Let my people go, that they may serve me. Else if thou wilt not let my people go, Behold, I will send swarms of flies upon thee and upon thy servants and upon thy people and into thy houses, and the houses of the Egyptians shall be full of swarms of flies and also the ground whereon they are. And I will sever in that day the land of Goshen in which my people dwell, that no swarms of flies shall be there. To the end thou mayest know that I am the Lord in the midst of the earth." And I will put a division between my people and thy people. Tomorrow shall this sign be. And the Lord did so. And there came a grievous swarm of flies into the house of Pharaoh and into his servants' houses and into all the land of Egypt. And the land was corrupted by reason of the swarm of flies. And Pharaoh called for Moses and, for, and Aaron and said, Go ye, sacrifice to your God in the land. And Moses said, It is not me so to do. 
For we shall sacrifice the abomination of the Egyptians to the Lord our God. Lo, we shall sacrifice the abomination of the Egyptians before their eyes, and will they not stone us? We will go three days' journey into the wilderness and sacrifice to the Lord our God as he shall command us. And Pharaoh said, I will let you go, that you may sacrifice to the Lord your God in the wilderness, only you shall not go very far away. Entreat for me. And Moses said, Behold, I go out from thee, and I will entreat the Lord that the swarms of flies may depart from Pharaoh and from his servants and from his people tomorrow. But let not Pharaoh deal deceitfully anymore in not letting the people go to sacrifice to the Lord. And Moses went out from Pharaoh and entreated the Lord. And the Lord did according to the word of Moses, and he removed the swarms of flies from Pharaoh, from his servants, and from his people. There remained not one. And Pharaoh hardened his heart at this time also, neither would he let the people go. Moses is the great exterminator. Not one fly left. All right, let's pray and ask God to help us and give us wisdom to... Father, I thank you for uh, the, the lessons that we learned from these uh, amazing works of your hand on the people, the Egyptians, in judgment for their sin and wickedness and their mistreatment of Israel, your people, and for their failure to listen to your word. And I pray that we would learn tonight, that we would be encouraged, that we would be exhorted, that we would be edified, that the word of God the lessons from the Old Testament would be a help and a reminder of truths that we might already know. But we thank you, Lord, that you use the word, and we pray that you would tonight for your glory. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So let's begin with uh, this evening a valuable lesson, and I'm going to call it a valuable, les valuable lesson about suffering. In this story, as we see the uh, matter of the children of Israel and the plague of the, the flies, uh, we find something interesting. We find in verses 22 and 23 that God did something he hasn't yet done. Remember, we had the first, I guess we already had the first two or three of, of the plagues. In the first two plagues, the, the, the blood and then, uh-oh, you're going to have to help me out because I just had a blank. I just That's what happens. What's that? And the, uh, and the frogs, okay, I knew there was something there, all right. The frogs had come. Both of those things, the children of Israel suffered through, am I, am I right? Okay, but what do we find in verses 22 and 23? What does God do with this, with these, with this next play? Okay, go ahead, no, that's fine. That's right. Only Egyptians were going to have to suffer, if you would, through this one. God was going to sever. God was going to make a difference as far as who was going to face the difficulty and face the struggle. So the Israelites were spared from the judgments which came upon the Egyptians. You know, when I read these verses originally, I was going to bring it out at a point we made in the last message, in point, part one, all right, when we talked about God's judgment. Um, I was going to bring out the fact that God spared the Israelites a few different times. But as I was reading this through, uh, it was interesting to me to uh, actually just be thinking through uh, what God did in the whole, if you would, the whole picture of the plagues. Uh, there's a couple lessons to be learned, a couple valuable lessons, I think, is first that God sometimes perfects us through suffering. You see, we can't ignore the fact that the Israelites did suffer. 
they had the same issue with the water that turned to blood. They had to go and, and uh, either, I don't know, somehow strain the water or do whatever they did in order to get, or dig up different places to bring up some water so they would have water to drink. And God allowed those things, and God allowed that suffering. So the children of Israel did suffer. And yet, on the other hand, God sometimes, or God brought them out of other ones, other plagues. In fact, I, I'm not sure, but I don't believe from, the, from this and on through the end, the children of Israel faced any of those. But the first aspect is that God sometimes perfects us through suffering. I mean, look, they had the frogs that they were stepping on everywhere they went. You know, they had the heaps and they had the stink. And they had those things that they had to deal with. And, you know, we'd like to, we'd like to picture it as life is always, um, you know, wonderful for the Christian. And life always goes wonderfully. But we know that not to be the case. In fact, I'm not speaking to people who haven't experienced the Christian life. You know, that troubles come, sometimes very severe troubles. Um, the frogs were, were no picnic. Uh, nor was the water turning, turning to blood. And the children of Israel went through those things, but God perfected them in them. Do you know that even once they got out of Egypt, there were a number of things that God brought into their lives to test them when they didn't have water. In fact, God said, I'm testing you. I'm giving you an opportunity for you to serve me and to make that choice. And you know, suffering does that. He perfects us through suffering. Now, you and I, they didn't have the benefit of James chapter 1. You and I know, according to James chapter 1, that God uses the trial of our faith to make us perfect, to develop our lives, to bring us along. They didn't have that, but they lived it. And they learned that God does indeed sometimes perfect us through suffering. Now, I, I, I would be the first to say, I wouldn't want the frogs, and I wouldn't want the, the water turned to blood. I wouldn't want any of the plagues. But God saw fit for some reason to allow the children of Israel to go through those things and remember and to remind us and maybe teach us a lesson about suffering, that God sometimes does let us, just like the lost world, go through very difficult days. And, uh, and as he does, he has a purpose in it. God isn't just doing it because, well, he doesn't care about us. He's doing it for our benefit. God said this in Matthew 5, 45, that ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven, for he maketh his son to rise on the evil and on the good and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. You know, um, wicked farmers get rain and get sun and have a crop. Godly farmers get rain, get sun, and have a crop. Sometimes they both lose theirs. Sometimes they both have a bumper crop because, because God brings these things upon both. With the lost, um, God may be doing good just because God is good. With believers, when God allows bad things, he has a purpose, he has a reason, and he's developing our lives. Job understood that truth. He said, shall we not receive good at the hand of God, and shall we not receive evil? And, uh, and he didn't sin with his lips, according to Job chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. So let's remember that, that truth and let's uh, understand that sometimes God may put us through bad troubles, but God has a purpose. Have you ever heard the story of the old man? I, I think it's a great one. He had one son he had a, and he had a horse. And one day the horse broke loose from the corral, went off into the hills. Your horse got out. What bad luck, said one of his neighbors. And the man said, why do you say that? How do you know it's bad luck? 
Well, sure enough, the next night the horse came back to his corral for feeding and watering, and he led 12 wild horses with him. So once the horses were all in, the son locked the gate, and now they had 13 horses when they only had one. And neighbors heard the good news, and they came over and said, what luck you have. And the man said, how do you know it's good luck? Well, later, the man's son was trying to ride one of the wild horses. It threw him, and he broke his leg. And the neighbors were back again, great neighbors. And they said, what bad luck? And the old man said, how do you know it's bad luck? A few days later, an army officer came through and drafted every able-bodied young man, taking them to war. Many never returned again. The young man was saved because of his broken leg. And the truth is that troubles come, and often we cannot see the reason, the value, the purpose, how God could do anything good. But God uses these things, problems, yes, for our best. And may we remember that truth. But there's also the wonderful truth laid out for us in the plagues that God sometimes protects us from suffering. Now, this is the aspect we like to talk about. This is the one we want to bring out because God sometimes protects us from suffering. So sometimes God breaks the windshield and sometimes God keeps the windshield from being broken, you know? Uh, Sometimes the washer runs forever and sometimes it doesn't, you know? I guess you've had a couple of those this, this past week. But you know, sometimes God chooses and God... Uh, protects us from suffering and from trouble. Uh, Look again at verse 22. And I will sever in that day the land of Goshen in which my people dwell, that no swarms of flies shall be there. To the end, thou mayest know that I am the Lord in the midst of the earth. By the way, this was going to prove unequivocally to, to the Pharaoh, look, I am in control of these events. And there's not going to be a fly in Goshen, but there's going to be flies everywhere else. I don't know. It must have been interesting, you know. I mean, you've seen around here, you see rains. It can be raining in just one little one little spot. In fact, sometimes it's just I marvel because I can be here and the sun is shining as I leave the church and I can drive down the road. I can get to Independence High School and it can be pouring rain. And then I can get to uh, Christ Lane. I mean, we're just talking about, what, a mile later. It's like the rain stops and the sun comes out and it's sunny back when I get home. And it's it's like, you know, and it's just this one little area. Well, that was kind of the picture. I I almost imagine that you could have seen a lion at Goshen. Flies everywhere as soon as you go. I guess the children of Israel, you know, would have wanted to stay right in Goshen, you know. I'm not visiting any Egyptians, not going over that way today. Uh, because God did make a distinct and, and, and taught an important lesson to Pharaoh, but he also uh, reminds us in this that God sometimes protects us from suffering. And sometimes, now this would have been very observable, but sometimes we never know how God protected us. You know, I mean, uh, who's, to, who's to tell how many, how many times maybe the, the, the Lord held us up on our trip so we would avoid a wreck? Who knows how many times um, God has, has caused our, our equipment at home to run maybe for years longer than it ever would have run. You know, we, we just don't know the things that God has spared us from in many cases. And then sometimes it's just wonderfully clear like it was here. It's just like, wow, God, you just took me out of that. And I want to thank you so much for protecting me. And, um, and let's understand something. Someone isn't in sin because, because the plague comes. And someone isn't in sin because, or someone isn't necessarily right with God because it was removed. God is just, God has a purpose and a plan in each thing. 
So sometimes God allows suffering to perfect us. Sometimes God keeps us from, from suffering uh, to bless us and to just show us his care and his love for us. And may we rejoice in both and see that there's value in both. A preacher made this observation. He said, our neighbor Dan is a walking miracle. Last year he was in a terrible automobile accident. Many would say should have killed him. He was evacuated from the crash site by a helicopter with multiple injuries, including his back broken in two places. But God wasn't finished with Dan yet. He miraculously spared his life, miraculously delivered Dan from the paralysis that his injuries should have given him, according to the doctors. Through it all, Dan surrendered his life to Jesus Christ. And what a testimony Dan has. Then the preacher said, I've never had a serious injury in my life. I've never been in the hospital facing possible death or paralysis. Now, when I look at what God healed Dan from, I rejoice. My story is nowhere near as dramatic as Dan's, but that's okay. I'm excited about how God put Dan back together, but I'm glad I didn't have to be put back together. God works in ways we do not understand. He uses both the bad and the good. Sometimes our lot is suffering. Sometimes our lot is a lot of suffering. Sometimes our lot is the removal of suffering and sometimes it's clear sailing. So here's a lesson. Rejoice when it's clear. Trust when it's stormy. An important lesson to learn. We go on in a story and in verse 25, Pharaoh calls for Moses. Because the flies are there, as Moses said, it's going to happen. It's coming tomorrow. Just be ready. And so Pharaoh calls him in. And he says, all right, all right, I give. And he offers a compromise. And there's an important lesson in the story of the plagues about compromise. Compromise is never to be an option for a Christian. Here's the truth we learned starting in verses 25 to 28. You can expect people to test your resolve to obey God. You know, sometimes those tests comes from family. You know, family who might say, you know, oh, why, why do you folks always go to church? You know, I don't know why you're so religious all the time. Uh, some tests and other things may come in various ways of life. It might come from uh, work where they threaten to, to fire you if you won't go along with what they are asking you to do and you know that what they're asking you to do is sinful or wrong. Maybe to lie on your time card or to, or to be dishonest in a report and say something that really did not happen uh, in order to make the company look good. And sometimes as a Christian, you've got to be willing to stand up and say, hey, I will not do that which is wrong. And sometimes, please understand this, people are testing your resolve whether you're going to obey God because they know you're a Christian. So you can expect people to test your resolve to obey God. And we find that in verse 25. When Pharaoh calls, he says, go, sacrifice to your God in the land. And i got to believe that Moses, right at that uh, you know, right at the point is, is, you know, he's thinking, okay, but he was listening carefully because when he said, go ye sacrifice to your God, he said, how? In the land. All right, so here's the compromise, Moses. You can go, but you're going to do it in the land. You can sacrifice to your God. I'll let you do that. Now, um, 
The issue was obedience. You know, my, my friends in our day, it seems like Christians are compromising Bible truth left and right to appease a lost world. It's almost frightening, some of the things that, that we see and, and, and discouraging sometimes. A lot of preachers are bowing the knee to Baal. They're allowing pagan practices and godless things to be part of their worship services. And, you know, they, they will often guise it in reaching the lost, trying to, to bring people in so we might impact them for Jesus Christ. But God has a command in Scripture, and it hasn't changed for a couple thousand years. The command in Scripture in 2 Corinthians six seventeen is to come out from among them and be separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing. And a Christian who loves God cannot compromise Bible truth. Now, there are times where compromise is fine, but we're talking about something that is not laid out in the Scripture. What did God say the children of Israel were to do? that they were going to go three days' journey into the wilderness. God's plan and God's design and what Moses was asking for, this is what God expects and this is what God says. Pharaoh offers an, uh, an alternative, and as a Christian, Moses could not compromise. And Moses was one that was willing to stand up and say, look, it's not me to do so. And, he, and I think it's interesting the way he dealt with this. He didn't just say, forget you, man! But he said, look, if we do this, here's what's going to happen. And we, we understand that this is going to be a problem. We need to go three days' journey. And Pharaoh offers, by the way, kind of a second comment. Well, you can go a little bit, but, but, but not really. The idea was you can't go three days' journey. You can go a little bit into the wilderness. That wasn't sufficient. Actually, he knew what was happening anyway. And we knew what was going on as well. But Pharaoh offered a compromise. By the way, we see this another time. Look in chapter 10. In chapter 10 and verse 24. Pharaoh called unto Moses and said, Go, you serve the Lord. Only let your flocks and your herds be stayed. Let your little ones also go with you. Which, by the way, there was another time when he said, Just, just let the men go. And uh, so a number of compromises were let out and laid out before him. And Moses said, Thou must also give us sacrifices and burnt offerings that we may sacrifice unto the Lord our God. Our cattle also shall go with us. I love this one. There shall not a hoof be left behind. That's like a, that's like a famous statement that you would never, not a hoof left behind. Um, you know, it's kind of, I, I can almost hear it. You know, we're not, gonna, we're not going with three-fourths of a cow. We're taking all of it. And uh, uh, it's, it's great. But here is, a, the, the, the second point is a Christian needs to have an all-or-nothing attitude. So you can expect people to test your resolve to obey God, but a Christian needs to have an all-or-nothing attitude. I'm going to do all of what God has told me to do. Now, again, there are times when, as a Christian, uh, I may be able to, if you would, make concessions that are not unbiblical and would not cause me to do anything sinful. TV in the church. You know, some preachers, would have said just five years ago. Some preachers that have them in their church now say, oh, that's evil. That's just totally horrible, wicked. Can't believe you would have any kind of screen up in the church. There are times when, um, you know, there's nothing in the Bible that says anything about whether it can have a screen. By the way, as much as I don't really care for it, it's not sinful to have the words of a song up on a screen either, as some, as some places do. 
Now, it is wrong to use uh, country western music. It is wrong to use rock music. It is wrong to compromise in those things. But uh, there are some things that a Christian can do that are not necessarily compromise. Now, I do think we need to be careful and understand that sometimes one thing will lead to another thing that leads to another thing, and we may not want to open the door to something that might lead to sin down the road. And we need to be careful about that. But in this case, and what we see here is that what Pharaoh was asking was, here's what God says, and here's what I'll let you do. And they were different things. And when that is the case, a Christian needs to say, no hoof left behind. I'm going to do exactly everything God has told me to do. I will not compromise. And may we have the courage and may we have the fortitude to be Christians who are that way. And whether it is telling your family members, you know what? I know you're having a family reunion. It's going to be on Sunday morning. We will not be there until after lunch. We'll come. We love the family. We want to be with the family, but we're going to be in church on Sunday morning. It may be that. It may be a number of other areas in life where you're tested and where you're challenged. And as a Christian, uh, you need to have an all or nothing. I'm going to obey God completely. And that means I may not be able to participate in some things. I may not be able to do some things that may cause people to be angry with me and frustrated and mad, as I'm sure Pharaoh was. But as a Christian, i got to do what God has told me to do. And may I have that kind of right attitude in life. That's an important lesson, and it's one, by the way, that is so needed today uh, because the tendency is for people to leave hooves behind and uh, to be willing to say, oh, well, at least they're going to let us do this much. And as a Christian, I've got to stand firm on what's true. Third principle and the third lesson to be learned. This is a message. I love the, the, these, the, the, the story of the plagues because the story of the plagues is a message. This may sound strange. We already talked about judgment, but it's a message of grace, mercy, and forgiveness. You say, what? God judged Egypt. Yes. When I, uh, this was another one that when I preached part one, and as we were dealing with judgment, this one also came to mind. I was going to have a side point about mercy and grace. But when I came to chapter 8, verses uh, 29 and 30, I was reminded that, um, that there's something that Moses did that is a wonderful picture of grace and mercy. Moses said, Behold, I will go out from thee, and I will entreat the Lord that the swarms of flies may depart from Pharaoh, from his servants, and from his people tomorrow. But let not Pharaoh deal deceitfully anymore, not letting the people go to sacrifice to the Lord. So let me ask you something. Did Pharaoh already lie to him? Mm-hmm. He said, Yeah, I'll let you go. And, and, the, and the frogs were gone. And then when there was respite, when things got a little bit easier because the frogs were all dead in their stinking piles, oh, I'm going to change of mind. Not going to let you go. And that had been going on. And here we come to Moses, and Moses yet was willing. We've already brought this out, but Moses was willing to entreat the Lord. He was willing to intercede on his behalf, even though he had been. And uh, he, had been, he had lied and deceived him. And it's a lesson in grace and mercy and in forgiveness. So let me, it's, this truth is brought out actually in two ways. First, the, the story of the plagues and all the plagues are, are a reminder of God's mercy and grace. 
and his willingness to forgive, but more of God's mercy and grace. You say, no, it's judgment. Well, it is judgment, but it's a reminder of God's grace and mercy. Uh, the, God is gracious and merciful. Let me, let's talk about this, okay? A few things about God's judgment. First is God gave them ample opportunity to repent and turn from their ways. With most every plague, Pharaoh had opportunity to say, yeah, I'll let him go. So he had opportunities. That's grace. That's mercy. Like Moses could have just send the flies. And then he could have come the next day. Or when Pharaoh called him and said, yep, I sent him. But he said, you know, it's coming. It's coming tomorrow. You know, Pharaoh could have slept on it. He could have called him first thing in the morning. You know, call Pharaoh and call Moses in. I'm going to let him go. God was a God of grace and mercy. Um, Moses didn't act arbitrarily and then come to Pharaoh after sending the plague. Um, he appeared before many of them and told them what was coming. And most of them had a call to let, uh, had a call to let them go and giving them opportunity to avoid the judgment coming. Now, that's graceful, gracious and merciful. Um, Pharaoh could have averted many of these judgments had he just listened to God and hadn't hardened his heart. You know, here's the truth. He brought the heartache and suffering on himself. He did. He did. And so the first is that God gave them ample opportunity, many opportunities to repent and turn from their ways. The second is that at least one time, God told them how to spare themselves from at least some of the severity of judgment. Does anyone know where that was? The hail. Look if you at a chapter 9, verse 18. Very good. Behold, tomorrow about this time I will cause it to rain a very grievous hail such as has not been in Egypt since the foundation thereof, even until now. Send therefore now and gather thy cattle and all that thou hast in the field. For upon every man and beast which shall be found in the field and shall not be brought home, the hail shall come down upon them and they shall die. He that feared the word of the Lord among the servants of Pharaoh made his servants and his cattle flee into the houses. And he that regarded not the word of the Lord left his servants and his cattle in the field. People had an opportunity to spare themselves and spare their family and their loved ones and those they cared about from death and judgment and their, and their animals as well. And so let me tell you that even in the midst of the plagues, we see the picture of grace and mercy laid out for us from the hand of God upon even the Egyptians. Now, let's also say this uh, under that point about God's grace and mercy. There was a time when grace and mercy ended. And there's a time when God said enough is enough. With each one of the plagues, there was a timeline. Okay, I gave you opportunity. Tomorrow the flies are coming. Nope, didn't hear anything from Pharaoh. And mercy and grace uh, are, are not going to always be continually extended. There's a time. You know, um, God gave him a number of do-overs in the place. He had opportunities. He had opportunities. But there was a time when God said, enough is enough. And God's judgment came. And here's interesting. There is a limit to grace and mercy. We see that even a little bit later on in Pharaoh. Because in the beginning, when you read through the plagues, we see like two or three different times where it says Pharaoh hardened his heart. All right, what do we see later on? What? Late. That's right. Later on, we see the Lord 
hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he would not let them go. And there was a time then that God said, all right, you have opportunity, you have chance, you can do something about this. And I, um, by the way, I'll just put in a little plug here. Uh, my, my Calvinist friends always want to talk about Pharaoh and how God hardened Pharaoh's heart, and they use that as proof that God controls all the events and affairs of life in the sense that he makes them happen, and it's a false view of sovereignty. The truth is Pharaoh hardened his own heart, and it came to a time then when God said, okay, enough is enough. Grace has been extended. You have rejected it, so now I'm going to harden your heart. And he did, and he brought judgment. And so uh, important, very important lesson about grace and mercy. But there's also, a, secondly, a challenge to practice grace and mercy. All right, so we find a reminder of God's grace and mercy, but there is a challenge to practice grace and mercy. And that is found uh, just throughout the plagues. I, really, it's, it's been uh, intriguing for me, and, and it's just I, it's jumped out like I don't think I've ever seen it before in the plagues, how each time Pharaoh just lied to Moses. I don't know, maybe a couple times he had good intent. Maybe he really was going to do it and just had a change of mind a little bit later on. But it just seems like a, a number of times Pharaoh just out and out just said, yeah, you can go. And as soon as it was over, nope, you can't go. Lied. But every time Pharaoh came and said, Moses, entreat the Lord for me. Moses did. I think after three or four, I would have been kind of like, yeah, we're going to just leave this here a few more days. I mean, humanly. But there is a challenge in this passage to be gracious, merciful, and forgiving. Um, I read a story about in the Royal Academy, there's a portrait of King James II. King James II was known to be a very cruel leader, and the portrait pictures actually that to be so. So you wouldn't actually expect it to be in such a place, but it is. The king is standing erect. He is cold and passionless, at least according to what people say about this portrait. And before him, there's a man groveling on the floor, a man needing mercy. It is the Duke of Manmouth, and he's looking for mercy because he needs it. His hands are bound. He's been brought into the presence of the king, according to this picture. And hoping to find pity, this offending duke has fallen on the floor. He's on his knees before the king. His face is touching the floor. It's evident his eyes were swollen with weeping, hoping for some sign of mercy. But all he found was a cold-hearted man who was contemptuous of any kind of hope and hatred toward this duke. A historian who wrote about the picture wrote these words, to see him, to see the duke, and not spare him was an outrage on humanity and decency. You know, we like to think that we're kind, we're gracious, we're forgiving, we're merciful. We hear about stories like that and we frown on the unwillingness of a king to show any pity, yet the tender heart spoken of in Scripture that Moses had is sometimes something that I know is lacking in my life. 
and I suspect maybe you would also have a struggle with that at times. Sometimes with those that we supposedly love the most, at home, with our mate, sometimes with those who have hurt us in the family, maybe it's just in, in, uh, in someone, that, a coworker or something that has done us wrong. And, and to me, Moses' continual willingness to go before God and say, God, remove the flies. God, remove the lice. God, remove this. God, remove that. Just because Pharaoh asked is a beautiful picture of how God wants me to be gracious and merciful and forgiving and willing to overlook offenses that have been done me and wrongs. Moses had been wronged. I mean, he had been wronged. And yet, he still had that kind of heart. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice and be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. And so, the plagues picture that for us. In a man who repeatedly was lied to, but every time he was asked to entreat God, he did it every time. And um, so we uh, are taught and have been taught some very valuable lessons in chapter 8. And we've come to chapter 9. And we're going to learn some more great truth. We're actually going to pick up more mid-chapter because we've already talked about a number of the things in the beginning of this chapter um, but the next point we're going to look at is there's no one like God. There's no one like God. And uh, the plagues remind us of that. I mean, who could do these things? Who could do these things? Um, but we'll have opportunity to do that next time we have uh, the chance to meet and look in the book of Exodus and learn some more practical things for life. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for... Uh, the, the important lessons in life, a lesson about suffering and how uh, sometimes you allow suffering and we're also grateful that sometimes you spare us from suffering and we rejoice in those things and uh, we also need to be reminded that in suffering you have a purpose and a plan. I, I thank you, Lord God, that you're a God of grace and mercy. Help us not to take advantage of that. Help us not to uh, put, put it off or to ignore it, help us to understand there's a time when grace and mercy will no longer be extended. And may we be people who respond to your grace and mercy. May we also see it in life. And Father, may we extend it to others. Thank you, Lord, that you have, can teach us and you do teach us through even these Old Testament passages and through the plagues, important things for life. And I pray that you'd help us to learn them and to live in light of them. And I'll thank you for it in Christ's name. Amen. Lord bless you as you go, and uh, act as God would have you to act, as we've seen laid out before us. You're dismissed. Lord bless you.